0: We're just excited. The past few weeks we've been going through this series um, uh, called A Stable Influence. And if you haven't been with us, let me just catch you up on a couple things that God's been doing here. And really what Advent is really all about is just anticipating the birth of Christ. It's really just preparing our hearts to celebrate and and, and allowing our affections to be stirred for Jesus. And uh, it's been a long tradition of the church to just take this time of year um, and and just celebrate that. And so the series, A Stable Influence, has really been Uh, really that birth of Christ, what an influence and impact. It's pretty much easy to say that no one's had a greater impact on the world. Even people who aren't Christians or even recognize that there's a God would say that Jesus, above all else, has had a greater impact on the entire world than anyone else because of, of Christianity and just the role it's played in an expansion of the world and uh, just as a, as a religion in our world. And, and so the influence that he, he gave us, we kind of started and looked at, at Mary, Jesus' mom, and like the call that she got, like what was so special about Mary and, and why God chose her. Out of all these other, you know, teenage girls that God could have chosen, he chose Mary. And there was this humility and faithfulness that we saw in Mary's life, we saw it in Joseph's life, and ultimately we'd see it in Jesus' life, as his parents had an influence on him as God was working in his life uh, here on earth. So we, we took that kind of as a beginning for us, and then last week we kind of wrestled with these, these two ideas of, uh, of peace and joy that have been commercialized, and really tried to rediscover the root of peace and joy, because they show up several times, it's on everybody's advertising, but there's something really, really powerful about peace and, joy. and so we really begin to engage in, in thinking and discovering what peace and joy really meant in, in this text. And uh, today we're going to continue just on, on a journey today of, of Advent and anticipating, letting our aff- affections be stirred for Christ. And so I'm, I'm excited uh, t- for today. Taryn and I were talking this past week just about Christmas uh, in, our, in our lives and what, it's, what it looked like, what you remember about Christmas. Just think back uh, for yourself, like what was kind of what do you remember most about Christmas? we were talking, and I, I remembered, you know, cool toys that, we, you know, we did, and what we'd do that day, some family traditions that we just did every year. Uh, you know, you can kind of think about those things for yourself. And Taryn brought up, she said, you know, for us, because my, cause my uh, one set of grandparents are in Maine and the other set are in Georgia— um, you know, we were traveling every Christmas, so my entire life, the only thing she really remembers, you know, more than presents or anything else, she remembers these journeys that they took. Most of the time, um, when she was young, they would drive from, from Florida, like central Florida, to Maine, and if you don't know, that's a long way to be in the car with somebody, so these journeys were pretty elaborate, and the things they, um, you know, went through, and uh, she said there was this one time in which they uh, they all got sick on, in the car, which is, you can 't unsee that you can 't un you know uh, experience that, so it 's these these journeys that kind of marked her memory of what Christmas really has been in her history and Today, I want to take us um, and look at at, a, at a, a small group of men who went on a journey, and I really believe at, at, at first glance it 's going to look like a physical journey that they, they were leaving one place to come to another, but I think deeper than that there was there was a spiritual journey that they were on, and it was so much deeper. And I, and I would come to say that every single one of us are on this spiritual journey, that you are, in fact, before you were physical flesh, you were spirit. Um, more than your physical flesh, your eternal spirit within each one of us. The, the, God dwells within us in his spirit. And so we're going to look at, at the text here in Matthew chapter 2. There's two birth narratives we see in Luke and, and in Matthew. And we're going to get to Matthew today. We've been spending a lot of time in, in Luke, and we're going to get to Matthew chapter 2 today. Um, and I've got to go ahead and warn you. I'm going to, to destroy everything you thought about Christmas <laughs> um, to start this message. Does that sound like fun? You're like, wait a second, wait a second, I like my Christmas, I like my Christmas. I won't do it, but I think understanding some truth behind a lot of things we've believed, um, I don't think they're necessarily like uh, life and death situations, but I think we will find them interesting. So let's read the whole text and let's come back through and digest. Uh, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Uh, A passage in Micah, but uh, I think it's Micah 5, 2, in verse 4 that he quotes here. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Uh, not to go back to Herod. They returned to their country by another route. So let's go back to verse one. Let's digest here. First, we we see the introduction of of this this, uh, King Herod. And uh, let let me break down the first, you know, kind of thing uh, within this text. A lot of times we think Jesus was born December 25th. That's why we celebrate it here. But in fact, Jesus wasn't born December 25th, just as history and tradition would keep it. This is the time we celebrate, you know, a, a you know a, a king or a priest a long time ago decided you know we're going to pick a day here because we don't really know the day. most likely it, it probably would have been um, uh, later September is one of the really uh, understood times to be and the, and the reason we know this is because uh, really this text right here gives us a, a lot of insight one is or, and the ones with the shepherds as well because shepherds were keeping their watch at night we, we know that text they're keeping their watch at night and, and the thing is December is in winter there too um, and, and so they wouldn't keep their flocks outside. They, they would find some really a safe place. They wouldn't be out in the fields watching at night during this time of year so we know it's probably a different time of year, probably a, a much warmer time. We also know that they were had to report for a census. They had to come in and like mark how many people were in their family uh, so they, they, this would be a long journey. Roads were not good in this time of year and that so they wouldn't do a census at this time of year. So that's why we, we would kind of date it and there's some other factors that play in. Also, So so not only is the date that we've commonly thought, oh, this is Jesus' birthday, which... Really, it's, it's not Jesus' birthday, but this is a moment we celebrate it. So sorry, I'm ruining Christmas for everybody. I'm not a Grinch, I promise. I'm going to lift the spirits again. Um, so the, December 27th is not actually his birthday, um, but it, it's a great time for us to celebrate it. And this is just kind of in tradition of when we, we celebrate it, so I'm stoked about that. Um, but also, the, the, the date in which we mark Jesus' birth, like zero, like in between B.C. and A.D., is really a few years off. Um, and I know I'm starting to sound like a heretic. What kind of heretic comes up here and begins to say that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th and that he wasn't born at 0 AD, 0 BC? That's not when he was born. In fact, we, we know because of this text right here that says King Herod, King Herod was the king, and we know because he died 4 BC. We have so many historical texts that tell us when he died, because he was a, kind of a, a major leader, that he died 4 BC. And so really, when we be- began to get the calendar that we live by, the Christian calendar, they, they were off a few years. So they didn't have all the texts at the time, and, and they just guessed wrong. It doesn't change the Bible, because the Bible didn't say Jesus was born in in 0 BC, 0 AD. But it is, for our understanding, it's important to know that those dates are are, are a little bit off, okay? So that just kind of builds our information. So let's talk about the Magi here. The Magi from the east, these are are, are Persian or um, somewhere from Mesopotamia, which which is a peninsula, an area um, between uh, two rivers, ancient rivers that we kind of knew that these guys probably came from. And Magi, some would call wise men, um, you know, they're really just, they are wise men. That's what they were. They, they didn't really have an office in the East, but kings and rulers would seek them out to kind of have information. They were like um, hired contractors of wisdom, you know. Um, you know, we, we would go to, to them to kind of seek counsel about what they should do. And so, but I think deeper as we begin to see this journey, what we're going to be talking about today is, is the journey of a worshiper. Because I think at their roots, these guys wanted to go, and they wanted to go to worship, These were wealthy men. These were seekers of truth. They were very learned, very wise. I mean, kings went to them. They had incredible experience, incredible wisdom. And as they give gold for gifts, I mean, when's the last time you gave gold for a gift? I mean, not like a gold necklace, but probably like gold bars or chunks of some sort. These guys had money. They were wealthy. They were smart um, these were people who were on a bigger journey, and they were also astrologers and, and astronomers and, and trying to study the stars and find out what is out there. And you can search every corner of our world, and you'll find the same longing to connect with our Creator, this same longing to understand our existence and the depth of the relationship we have with uh, an omnipotent and omnipresent God. And I think this is the journey that these guys were on, that they weren't just coming to take this physical moving from one place to the next or or taking a Christmas trip. And, And I pray that for us, we would see this as bigger than just taking this journey for a couple of weeks, but we would see ourselves as worshipers, that we were created, in fact, to worship above everything else you were created to do, above every gifting you have, you were created to worship and honor God. That's, that is within our existence to have connection with our Creator and to worship. And the truth of the matter is that every single one of us worship something. We worship something. We, we worship success or we worship certain people in our life. Whatever gets our, our foremost thoughts and thinking is really worship. We've, we've kind of narrowed worship down into this music thing that lasts for a few songs. That's what we've narrowed worship down. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 gives us a real clear picture. Just offer your bodies as as living sacrifices, I think is really the depth of what worship is, and it's our entire being. And there's all these physical acts that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but really we're going to be talking about the journey of these worshipers, and that you and I are also on a journey as worshipers. And so I think the first thing in in that is that you've got to seek God and seek truth, and I think that's what these magi were really seeking. They had been studying stars for a long time, so when one showed up, they knew it was legit, and they had to go find it. And so let's go back to verse one, and let's work our way through the text here, because I think there's some really interesting details that we're going to bring out. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, let's continue to verse 2, and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? These guys obviously know prophecy. They obviously know historical text here and the law. And so we saw his star when it rose. Like, we saw his star. Like, how do you get your name on the list where you get a star? Like, Jesus already has a star. He hasn't even been born yet, but we saw his Star, I think another, th- you know, kind of um, understanding is we have like the twinkling star that we kind of have even in our graphic. Um, but, you know, some, you know, historians and, um, you know, uh, theologians really think that this might have been a comet of some sort because it says that it stopped and that could mean that it actually went out or it actually a star moved and and stopped. So whatever, it was a divine kind of leading that they find here. So where is the one who is inborn king of Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This right here is where we know that their journey was bigger than a physical go to pay honor. Uh, This is right here because of this word worship him that really means honor. It means to come like Bowed down, like literally, to come and worship. It is something that would happen to a king, and and so this idea that he would come and worship a baby is such a deep reverence and understanding for wise people, for learned, you know, rich people from the east that they would make this journey and just follow this star and then come and worship. It, it, it's just you kind of got to get that in your mind as if you were doing that, and that's like that's. Pretty, pretty wild, but you can see the faith they have here as they've come to worship him. Verse 3. When King Herod heard the news, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Read verse 4 with me. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. This is the first thing. First of all, he's disturbed. Uh, we know about Herod because of a lot of his historical uh, instances that he was a pretty paranoid fella. That he, any, you know, uh, texts tell us that uh, he had killed uh, most of his wife's family uh, because of fear of his throne. He had killed some of his own children because he feared his throne. This man was paranoid, and you'll find out right here because he keeps telling them to do things diligently. Search diligently. If you look at the Greek text, search diligently. I want you to be diligent about searching and finding where this Messiah was to be born. So in this text, he'll search out. He wants to know where and he wants to know when. Because why? Because he wants to kill him. Because he's fearful of his throne. He's paranoid. He's going to lose what he's got. And it's, you know, that's a whole other lesson we can learn from there. Is when we're afraid of losing what we have, we can't really be focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. Which is worship and honoring God with what we have. Let's continue to verse 5. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. They're just like, you know, this is just what the text says. This is what the prophecy is. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least, you know, in the Hebrew, Hebrew and Greek are two different languages. So anytime you translate something, things, things are a little bit different. They come out a little bit different. In, in the Hebrew text here, it says, you, you Judah, you're, you're insignificant, It says you are, you know, you're significant, but you're not insignificant. So it's kind of recognizing in one hand that you're small. You remember it's this tiny town of two to three hundred people. Not much good comes out of there. For out of you will come a ruler who who will shepherd my people. And even um, in this text right here in the Hebrew, the word is you'll feed my people, which I love that. And this idea of ruling but feeding is, is kind of, I think, huge when we look at at Christ as the Good Shepherd, um, that he would even, you know, call himself and we would recognize him as. So they they refer to this this Hebrew text here. Let's continue, this Hebrew prophecy in Micah 5. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time. So he's found out where, now he's finding out what time. So he's asking them, and he does it in secret, which is an enormous deal in this culture. We do a lot of things in secret, right? We do, we keep the things public. We want to keep public. We keep the things private. We want to keep private. In this society, in early uh, uh, Far East Mediterranean society, it, it was actually quite offensive to do things in secret. If you were doing something in secret, it was dishonorable, We did everything in public. You did a business meeting, you did it in public. The only things you did secretly were dishonorable. So obviously there's something dishonorable about what Herod's up to here, and we'll continue on in verse eight and kind of get a greater sense of this. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search for him carefully. This is like the diligently word. Find this kid. As soon as you find him, report him to me so that I too may go and worship him. You know, you can just almost sense the you know, lack of genuineness, especially after we read this thing that he did in secret. It's dishonorable. Um, we know there's something more to the story here. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where it's ch- where, um, where the child was, okay? So another thing that, again, we, we, we've thought is we kind of picture them at a, a manger scene, but but again, This isn't happening at like a manger scene or a cave as it could have possibly been. This is actually happening at a house. So so let's continue to verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And so we'll get into that in just a second. I think here on coming to the house, go back to verse 10. So I think here's where we get into some of the meat of this text. Verse 10, 11, and 12. So if you want to track with me. First, in the journey of a worshiper, we've got to seek God. We've got to seek this existence that I think all of us is longing within us and I think we're caught up in, I don't want to call them meaningless things, but in light of who God is and in light of the story of God and the redemption he has for creation, they seem a bit trivial in, in the light of everything. So the first thing is really just understanding that we are first worshipers and seeking God is, is, is the part of the journey the worshiper that we continue on. The second thing here, I think, is being led. They, they saw the star. They, they had this revelation. They were overjoyed. For those of you that were with us last week, we, we talked about the word chara, which is uh, the, the the word here, uh, Greek word that means joy, and it's just like overabundant joy. They were overjoyed. It's like flowing over. They were excited. They had been on this journey, and, and maybe you've been on this journey for a little while, and you're, you're searching. You're still searching for this moment in which you can be, overjoyed and just really filled with the, the spirit of God. But I, I think here that we can learn from this just as, as as worshipers. The next thing is to be led, to be led. I think as worshipers, we should be led. Um, Paul talks about it in passage of Galatians 5, where he's talking about fruits of the spirit. He's talking about just life in the spirit, you know, because we have this flesh and the spirit battling all the time. And he says that, that we should be led by the Spirit. And I, I think just as they were, you know, being led by the star here, I think for us as worshipers, being led by the Spirit in our lives. That that we feel alone sometimes, and we feel like we're on this journey alone, but be led by the Spirit. Uh, when, when we talk about really the joy that we have for our life, it's when we keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, you think of slow dancing and, and getting this feel of of kind of walking in the spirit keeping in step with the spirit is what galatians 5 says so the the, the first aspect of being led is by the holy spirit that that we're not in this thing alone, Jesus said, look, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you a paraclete is the Greek text. And it means someone to come alongside of you. And the Holy Spirit is, is, is there for us on, on a regular basis. Spirit lives within us for direction, for power, for peace, and for comfort. That The Spirit is there to empower us w- for this life. And you may feel kind of like a lack of direction, a lack of power. Just, I just tell you, just keep in step with the Spirit. Look to Galatians chapter 5, and if you're looking to be led as a worshiper and just kind of figuring out what's going on, you're like, look to Galatians 5, keep in step with the Spirit. The other aspect of being led is is spiritual leadership that, that we see, uh, that we see uh, uh, Paul talk about in another place, Ephesians chapter 4. We see verses 11 through 13. I think they've got the text up there for us. 11 through 13, and it says that Jesus... Um, he appointed some of them uh, uh, apostles, some of them prophets, some of them uh, evangelists, some of them teachers, some of them pastors, that there's these roles and duties in, in leadership in the church that God has put them there. But here's the, the, the most important part is as you go forward, why did, why did Christ set this in place to equip his people for works of service? Service is our third core value amen, yeah, yeah, to equip equip his people for works of service, to equip us. Christ has put leadership in place to help us get where? Why? Why equip us? Not just for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Let's continue. Uh, until we all reach the unity in the faith, and, and this is such depth, so we 're looking to mature as believers we 've made our life about so many superficial things of, of success and money and and you name it, but really. Above all else, we are worshipers, and our greatest duty and purpose in this life is to attain the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Above all else, your goal on a daily basis as a believer should be to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, and that is what the body of Christ is is about. We 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 look in in different texts and we see Paul talk about and he said, Don't forsake the gathering of the believers. And this is because of this, so that we can grow in unity and faith. It's hard to you know grow in unity and faith when you're listening on a podcast you know, wherever, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, you know, I'm not kind of getting all legalistic about you need to be in church or whatever. I, I'm just saying this is what scripture says, and it's very uh, tough to reach the unity together if we're not going there together. And, and really, that's not even about shaking somebody's hand and hugging somebody's neck. It's about reaching after Christ more than it is anything. And we all, that's where fellowship, that's where true unity happens is at Jesus. It doesn't happen in our conversations five minutes before service or after. It really happens at the point of recognizing who Jesus is in our life, and so this is the other aspect of of being led, is to, uh, that God's put spiritual leadership, uh, and he's given us the Holy Spirit to walk alongside of us, so this is part of the journey of a worshiper, and I think something we can just extract from this, Uh, it's kind of going on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's huge to us as believers, and scripture talks about all through, and these, these, um, And these magi are being led. So let's go back there to to verse 11. And we see that they've come to the house now. We've come to the house. Okay, again, not a manger, not a cave, but they've come to a house. So chances are it's about 41 days, about 41 days post Jesus' birth. That's because of purity laws and having to present herself in the the temple. And, you know, with circumcision is eight days and a purification. You can look back in the first five books of the Bible and, and find all this really kind of, you know, really intense kind of dating and times they made someone be circumcised on the eighth day. Eighth day. Then they had 33 days to, to purify themselves, a woman of bleeding, you know, after she's had the child. So on coming to the house, they saw the child, that they would recognize the child before they recognize the mother is countercultural. And they bowed down and they, they and worshipped him. They, they bowed down and worshipped this baby. Our, our culture really recognizes children first, acknowledges and raises children up, you know, our, our parents, you know, come into the room and the first person, we joke about it sometimes, like, oh yeah, we're here too, but the first person they see is my kids and they want to hug them. But really in this culture, you know, kids were, they weren't slaves, but they were like next to slaves. They were, they were there to, to perform the roles and carry on the name. It wasn't this exaltation. Uh, kids eat last. They don't eat first in this society type of thing. And so that they would recognize the child first, they bow down and worship the child um, is a major thing here. And so I think the, the third element here for us on this journey as a worshipers is not just seeking truth, not just being led by the Spirit and, and by the spiritual leaders that God's given us in the text and, and, and the Word, but also um, in, in this verse right here, verse 11, I, I think it speaks to us that what is internal will some point become external. What is internal has to come external as worshipers. It has to come external. And we see this and they bow down. It's a complete sign of surrender and reverence. It's something that they would do for a sovereign king. It's something they would do for a ruler. It's not something you do for a baby. And for us, we, I think we look for physical, like these tangible things in which to worship, in which to bow down and like give our, ourself to, but, but really it's, it's to a baby. It's to a baby, it's to the king, the sovereign king. And then they open their treasures and presented. So again, not the things that have been working inside these guys for years. This can look like this simple little, like, you know, just process or this Christmas story of these wise men, these magi. But this is a deep spiritual journey. That they had left where they were, performing their duties and followed a star. And they come to worship a baby? I, I, I mean, even in in our text and in their text, I, I think this is context. I think this is a little bit mind blowing. And then they're going to open treasures and gifts. I guess this is where babe, the first baby shower, right? Amen for baby shower. Uh, then they open their treasures and they present them. And so here's here's another thing. Since I'm, I'm just destroying everything you thought about Christmas, we don't really know that there were three wise men. Um, that's just kind of a, a guess. It's been a historical thing because there's three gifts, like. Three gifts, probably three guys. We don't really know that. Scripture doesn't really tell us that. So, again, just write it up on the things of, of why you hate Fathom Church and why Pastor Kyle ruined Christmas. You know, <laughs> we don't actually know it. I'm cool with, like, rolling with three. I often talk about it as the three wise men. But uh, there's really nothing in the text that promises that that's definitely what, what it was. But they open their gifts of treasure. So the internal has to become external. And, and these, these gifts are, are pretty deep. Um, these gifts that they give them are extremely deep in their meaning. So the the first gold would be um, would be a token of the kingly office of Jesus, of his royalty. It would it would be a token and a recognition of his royalty and uh, a token of his kingship uh, over lives, you know. And then the frankincense uh, would be a, a token of. Um, of his his priestly duties, that he would be the apt, um, you know, judge for us. He he would be the priest that would be sacrificed because it was uh, used uh, in in sacrifices as a, as an aromatic that you would burn. Um, and, and so this idea that um, Jesus, you know, it would be our sacrifice as a priest, because before in, in old kind of Jewish times they'd have a priest that would make the sacrifices for them. They couldn't even go to the place many times to. To make the sacrifice, the priest would do it. And so that Jesus has become our high priest. That there's this aromatic that would burn in sacrifices that they bring to the table. So there's the, the recognition of his kingly duties, the recognition of his priestly duties, that he would be our apt sacrifice in his perfection. And then myrrh. This is, I love this one. I think this one's so extremely powerful because it's, it's a, something they would use to anoint bodies. And um, it, it would would preserve bodies and, and so I just wonder if if myrrh was in some way i don 't know I wonder if Mary hung on to it I wonder if she hung on to it till the time that Jesus died, and this myrrh that these wise men brought she probably used it before then i'm just i 'm just You know, conjecture. But I I just wonder. I just think if this is this gift that was given, so every single one of these could be used for Jesus' ministry. They would be useful in his ministry. And God has given you things, He's given you and He's given me things that. Help fulfill the kingdom of God. Help fulfill the ministry of Jesus on this earth, as Second Corinthians five talks about the ministry of reconciliation and drawing us all. Galatians, or, or I'm sorry, Ephesians four, talking about to attain the full measure of Christ. This united, unified vision and influence that the church is supposed to have, and, and I believe that we see it here. This incredible sacrifice. I mean, they're giving valuable gifts. They're giving the things that are really maybe tough for them to let go of, and each one of us have certain things that can fulfill the ministry that God has for us here. So there's all these things, but at some point, the internal, you as a worshiper, what is internal, what God's doing on the inside is going to have to become external. I believe that is the, the epitome of really worship is really when it gets released, it gets released. And I'm not saying you you can't worship in your head and and worship is even an act of like giving. I I think it's that, but I think it's so much more. I think Romans 12, as I alluded to earlier, embodies that as your life as a living sacrifice. I love how Paul said, he said, I count everything as loss. And to know Christ and the power of his death and his resurrection, to, to live up to that measure is what I want my life to be and I count everything else as loss. And that type of perspective on this earthly life we live will give us meaning in the spiritual life that we're really walking in. This spiritual journey as worshipers um, is really fulfilled in understanding how that that becomes external. Let the internal become external. And lastly, in verse 12 here, and and we're going to wrap up, verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They'd been warned in a dream. And here's the last thing on a journey of a worshiper. We talk about transformation. And transformation, I believe, in what we kind of understand worship as many times is worship. I think God does incredible things and gives us an encounter physically and spiritually with him. And through music and, and through prayer and through scripture reading. I think it's all worship. And I think we have encounters with God that you can probably go to and be like, man, that was a moment where I really encountered God in such a physical, tangible way, but I I believe it's even, I think it's even bigger than that, and this, I I think, because transformation happens out of those experiences, and I think what this verse says to us is that obedience equals transformation, is that if you really want to be living to the full measure of Christ, as, as the text tells us, if you really want to keep in step with the Spirit, if you really want to be connected to your Creator, just walk in, walk in obedience, because that's where transformation happens. That's where we become into His image, It's through obedience. And, and many times, we make the will of God so difficult. I mean, can you imagine how, far, how hard it would have been to follow a star? If I told you, hey, go follow that star, Jesus' star— Go find that. You know, Maybe it's not that, but maybe it's something like that. And I've been on that journey. You've, you're probably somewhere on that journey, too. There's something within your calling, your journey as a worshiper, in which you kind of saw something in the distance that you kind of desired or aspired to or, or you feel like God's called you to or given you a passion for, and, and you don't know how you're going to get there, and you just feel like maybe you are following a star, but you just don't know how to do astronomy. You know, that's maybe what it feels like. But we can just make it really simple. The will of God becomes really simple when we understand to stay in the will of God, we've just got to be obedient. We've just got to be obedient. I said it to someone um, uh, a long time ago, and it was like felt like it was prophetic at the time. And, and God just, re- I don't know if it was prophetic, but God just resonated within me that that's truth that I can share many times. And that for many of us, the will of God feels like finding a needle in a haystack. It's so hard. And I've been there where I just can't find like, what God wants me to. And, and look, I, I get that. I've been there. But I think to the person that walks in obedience, the will of God begins to see it is just as vast as the ocean. Because I'm, a, I'm being obedient. And, and if he tells you to, to stay, then, then stay. And, and if the star doesn't move, then, then don't move. You know, and, and so obedience is really where that transformation takes place because they, they had to obey. They had been warned in a dream. They had to obey that. And then they go back a different route. We leave different when we obey. And I think all of us, we kind of have this who we are, who we tell people we are, who we used to be, and then who we really desire to be. And then we have this thing that God, who God's called us to be. And it blows all of them out of the water and I think that is what we want. That is what we're longing for in our existence, in our relationship with our creator, this spirit journey, this worship journey that we're on. That is what we, we strive to, but we just need to strive to, to be obedient. And he says, go back in a different route. Go back a different route. Let's not make this thing harder than what it is. I think this is it's huge for us, this journey we're on. And then, you know, you look on the back of all these like hair things, Or cleaning products, rinse and repeat. This is one of those things, this journey. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Repeat steps one through four. Repeat steps one through four. Um, And I think we've got to just grab onto this this journey that we're on. And above everything else, every other calling you have, every other desire you have, you're a worshiper. Seek truth, seek God. You know, be led by the Spirit. Be keeping step with the Spirit. Be led by the spiritual leaders that God's put in place, and he's establishing that here. Let the internal become external, and then just be obedient. Uh, We're going to do something fun here in just a second. Um, I say fun, and and I think deeply spiritual. Um, A couple couple years ago, um, my wife's grandfather passed away uh, this time of year, the, the one up in Maine. And so we went up there. We can only go every couple of years, and so we, we went up there, and just an incredible patriarch for the family. We called him Grampy, and uh, he passed away. Just We went up for Christmas and been there for a week, and, and we came home, and he passed away just a couple of days later. And so Christmas is just kind of one of those times, you know how it is for your family, those times of year. It just kind of resonates with family, and it was that for us a couple years ago. And so we often think about Grampy this time of year, and, and over the course of, of those two trips, they found something in his Bible, and um, it was pretty incredible, and it was just this list. It was a list of four things, and uh, I would just kind of call this Grampy's Christmas list, and um, when we talk about the internal becoming external, leaving a different way, um, what we're going to do here in just a second is, is kind of make Grampy's Christmas list, this is what he wanted to do with his life. This was like what he wanted to do. What he, this wasn't what he wanted for Christmas. This is what he was going to give for Christmas, if you will. Um, number one is, I'd like to help people. Other things, I'd like to have a big party and invite a lot of people that never have good things. He said, I'd like to travel for a living and witness. He said, I'd like to help people that are grieving. Just these incredible things. Like, I would like to help people. Just so simple. I would like to have a big party and invite a lot of people that have never had good things. I'd like to travel for a living and witness. I'd like to help people that are grieving. And just this idea that we found at Christmas in this in this loss, we found this incredible heart of a man uh, who would give it. And if we, we look at this list, we look at Christ and what he gave us and and. You know, it's just a, we call it a, a season of giving, but I want us that to become very um, practical in the next few moments. In just a minute, we're going we're gonna to pray. The band's going to lead us in a, um, in a bit of a tune, and, and um, you're going to have to in, invite the communion. Each one of you got one of these, right? Everybody get one of these? If not, we can get some of those out. If you don't have one of these, if you'll just raise your hand, and, and Brad's going to run them. Um, so just keep your, your hand um, up and for just a second. And he's going to grab those. And so these right here, what we're going to do during this time of, of c- communion is after you uh, partake in the table, I want you to just make a kind of Grampy's Christmas list and make what we'll call just a reverse Christmas list. I don't want you to write the things that you want, but I want you to write the things that you want to give. You want to give to Christ, whether it's, um, and I want you to be specific. I felt like this was really specific, like a party for people who never have good things. I mean, I, I want us to be specific about the gifts that we're going to bring to the house and worship and bow down to Jesus with this season. Maybe it's um, maybe it's certain time that you want to set aside and, and it's going to be your gift. Maybe it's a trip. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's, I don't know. It's your list. But I want you to pray about it. And just in this time, I want you to make a reverse Christmas list. Not the things that you want, but the things you want to give. And I would, I would encourage you to be inspired, to be led of Jesus. Because I think, I think that God can do something really, really incredible through this list. I do. And so I would encourage you not to just say something super superficial to say you did it. But I consider and ask you to wait until God inspires you. And we'll just take our time these next few moments and let, be led of God. Because maybe we'll, we'll be led to give something, to offer something that can be useful in the kingdom of God. Not just to say, I did a good thing this Christmas. But we'll do something, we'll bring something like the Magi that will build up the kingdom of God. And I pray that you would be inspired for that. We're going to worship during communion, as you partake communion, just when you're ready. I invite you to go tie this on the Christmas tree back there after you're finished. We're just going to have an incredible time of worship, honoring God with our gifts today. Let's worship and let's pray.